0: Hi, I'm Robert McGinnis. I'm the driver of the number nine Palota Network Synchros Racing for Mazda
1: car. And welcome to the Book and the bird show. show where we are at that traditional point in a season where everybody who talks about Formula One is scrambling to find things to talk about in Formula One.
0: Yes. And thus we are scrambling to find things to talk about.
1: And we have another week of this. Yes. Because no race next weekend either. And then the weekend after that is the build up to Spa.
0: So... Once we start to do the build-up for SPA, news will start coming fast and furiously. But that doesn't say that this week has been without news. Hasn't
1: been with much news. You had to go looking for it.
0: Well, there's been a a wee bit of news that we'll get to. Okay. But it's not—I mean, we just haven't had the jam-packed news week, which, you know— other than the fact that we ill-time all of our vacations, I mean, it would be awesome if we took vacations during this period of time, too.
1: Yeah, but some people refuse to plan their calendars around a Formula One schedule. We've had talks about this, and they still refuse to listen to us. In particular, I'm talking about the city school district.
0: Well, that's the biggest problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's our band director he did not appreciate it when i told him but f1 is off you can't have band camp now <laughs>
1: yeah so before we jump into everything let's have a quick review of the standings at the fantasy gp at the start of the summer break patricia's the bird team is in the lead of the look the bird fantasy gp league with 1521 points Michael is in second with 1,507 points. Phil's Team Rocket is in third with 1,466 points. Agro's Puppet Racing is in fourth with 1,441 points. With a tight battle for fifth with the boy at 1,256 points. And Richard's Fly Fast team with 1,241 points. We've got a few weeks until the action starts up again, but you can join us for the last half of the season by going to FantasyGP.com and entering the lead code
0: 148-31491. I said it last week, I'll say it again. I love hearing me in first. <laughs> I really thought that you would be like surpassed me so long ago and – you're closing the gap fast.
1: Yeah. I mean – Well, you know, all it takes is one or two really bad weeks, and everything just gets flipped on its head, unless, unfortunately, you're the boy or Richard. But <laughs>
0: – Well, the boy's strategy is not
1: working out for him. I'm not really sure he has much. Well, actually, his, he told me what his strategy is. He picks the same driver for everything.
0: Right, in the production section. Yeah. Because he figures that if he gets one of them right, he'll get a nearly for, like, if he picks the guy that wins first, he'll get the nearly for the second. And so he thinks that's good enough. And I'm like, but, but, but,
1: yeah. Yeah. So that, but that's his strategy. One driver, everything.
0: And I think it's always the same driver.
1: Quite possibly. All right. So, one of the things that are still being discussed and and people are still trying to figure out is what the rules are going to look like for 2021. We are starting to move closer and closer to the time that this stuff needs to be sorted. And Chase Carey tells us that uh, things are progressing. Um, He thinks that they'll finalize the regulations and commercial package in the coming months once the right compromises are found he says that the plan is now at the detail and compromise phase is that
0: opposed to the throw everything against the wall and see what sticks phase
1: no i believe what what he's saying is that they have generally come together and agreed that there should be rules (laughs) there is firm agreement that there should be rules okay what those rules are
0: we're not sure there's but no they agreement figured there. out that
1: there should be rules. Excellent.
0: Step one agree on on the fact that there should be rules. <laughs> Step two, think about what those rules should
1: be. Yeah. Um, Chase does say that he, he reminds everyone that they've introduced some recent regulation changes for the next season and specifically he's talking about the changes to the front wings that in theory, I don't know if I believe it, but in theory, should allow cars to race closer. Again, I don't really believe it, but that's the theory. Um, He says, we'll introduce a larger list of sporting regulation changes in the coming weeks to further improve the sport. Most importantly, we continue to move forward with a broader set of changes to cost structures, revenue distribution, regulations, and governance, the so-called Concord Agreement. We've made good progress with teams, agree on the goals and objectives, and now we need to work through the details to find the right compromises as we finalize these agreements in the coming months for the 2021 season. I feel good about the discussions. The devil is always in the details, and we have details to work through. But I think people agree with the goals, people agree with the direction, and the overall points of what we're trying to achieve and a vision of the sport. Nobody is going to get everything they want. But I think everybody recognizes that.
0: Well, that's the ultimate goal of great compromise, is that nobody walks out of the room exceedingly happy and no one walks out of the room like they feel like they didn't have a voice.
1: Yeah, and I, I think now's the time to remind the teams of this point.
0: Think bigger than your own team for a moment. Think about what's right for Formula One. Because he's always been known to do that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) In fact, I can tell you that I don't think he's ever been known to do that.
1: No, I think he has a few times.
0: Only Um, when it's at advantage Red Bull. Well, yeah. That's not thinking bigger than your own
1: team. So, yes, Chase Carey is optimistic that things are moving forward and things are getting settled and we will be ready to go. On the other hand, Renault boss Cyril Bitbull says that Formula One is falling behind schedule as it continues to try and firm up the 2021 engine regulations. <laughs> now, as a reminder, the new rules for engines were supposed to have been formalized and presented to the teams by the end of June. Okay. We are now in August. Okay. Still not done. <laughs> He says, the summer break this year would be the red line, which, of course, we're there. Um, It's no secret that two of the main drivers for that change of regulation were the possibility of a new entrant and the situation at Red Bull. Red Bull and Toro Rosso were massively driving the change because it was clear to them that, independently from our situation, they had to think about their own situation. Think bigger than their own team. So now that Red Bull has found a new partner in Honda and there do not seem to be new entrants the necessity of radical change to the engine regulation has lowered. But he so he is saying that now that Red Bull has a partner it's not as import, there's not as big a push to change the regulations but nobody's actually agreed to that.
0: I was going to say, I thought everybody other than Mercedes was really looking forward to the rules changes because it shakes everything up.
1: No, actually, the four manufacturers stood up and said, because the original plan was getting rid of the MGUH. h mm-hmm. And the four manufacturers said, um, no, <laughs> we spent all this money to design this tech and you're not just throwing it out the dang window. And Cyril goes on, he, he, he says that all four manufacturers are aligned in their views. We're talking about details right now, but I think, in general, we agree on the target. We agree it is better to keep the existing platform and that we can make a better job with it.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. He goes on to say, we still accept that we need to improve the power unit for other reasons, mainly for the show, for the customer teams, for the manufacturers in terms of cost also. And he also adds that Renault is in favor, favor of keeping the MGUH. Interesting. He thinks that maybe the better direction would be to simplify the way the MGUK is being used, the way the energy deploys, the way it can contribute to the show rather than removing something. Now, every time I hear that phrase, contribute to the show or improving the show, I get concerned.
0: Yep. Because it inorganically affects the racing.
1: It does, and it in, it impacts it in a way that, as we have seen, tends to come off a bit manufactured. That's the problem to me.
0: Well, every time you hear Enhance <laughs> the Show, you hear Let's Put Sprinklers on the Tracks.
1: Yeah, there's that too.
0: Same concept.
1: Yeah. So while we are also talking about... Um, possible directions that Formula One can go. Ross Braun was uh, speaking with the folks who maintain the F1 Fan Voice community website, which is one of Formula One Group's websites, but it's specifically, obviously, around the fans and talking to the fans. And Ross Braun, one of the things that he said is that if in five years or 10 years time or whenever there is a need, desire, or wish to have a different type of power unit in Formula One, we'll do it. In particular, he said that there is nothing to stop the championship from switching to fully electric power in the future.
0: Well, wait a minute. What would make them different than Formula E?
1: Well, according to Alejandro Agog, who is the CEO of and, and founder of the Formula E series, he does say that there are some key differences between the two series and how they work um he says that there's no competition between the two series and they are completely compatible series okay um more than that i'm not sure what the differentiator would be but there's a little more to that okay um what really had um alejandro upset is that As much as Ross wants to say that Formula E or Formula One could go electric in 10 seasons, they can't. Why can't they? Well, Formula E has an exclusive license with the FIA for 25 seasons, (laughs) of which they're only four seasons into that license. Ah. He says the earliest that Formula One could go electric is 2039, and that's only if. Formula E doesn't renew their agreement with the FIA then. And as of right now, he doesn't see any reason why they shouldn't renew it for longer. So in terms of all-electric racing series, Formula E has exclusivity until at least 2039.
0: Okay, setting aside the fact that they've got this exclusivity and Formula One thus could not go all electric. Keep in mind, I think Ross Brown was saying that they could as in physically could, not regulation could. I, but that's I, I don't my know. only defense of Ross Brown there. But can we just take a step back and just wrap our heads around the fact that 2039 is really not that far in the future?
1: Well, it is still 20 years away
0: yeah but at one point like when we were younger that was another lifetime
1: it's still 20 years away there's a lot that could happen in both series in the next 20 years
0: well yeah and i would hope so i mean think like about where formula one was 20 years ago mm-hmm I mean, a lot can happen, and Formula E didn't exist 20 years ago.
1: So what I – if this was actually to play out, I see one of two things happening. What? Either one, the two series merge into one, Wonder Twins activate <laughs> all of that, or number two and, – and I have a feeling that they would fight this tooth and nail – that, yes, in, in exchange for Formula One going all electric, Formula E becomes a feeder series for Formula One as opposed to a location where prospective and failed Formula One drivers go when they can't stay in Formula One.
0: I think we have to ask the bigger question. Okay. Why would Formula One go all
1: electric? Uh, well there's there's two reasons okay one would be in terms of if you want to be the pinnacle in automotive technology and innovation and development arguably that is where a lot of innovation and development is going right now is in the electric side of the house okay when it comes to the automotive world so there's that possibility um The other one, though, is as the general culture becomes more willing and open to electric-powered vehicles, that may make Formula E more relevant than Formula One. Think like WEC opening up at the prototype level – Audi bringing in the TDI the TDI and the e-tron cars.
0: I think it'll be interesting. Quite frankly, I I mean 20 years this is a long time. Let's just not mm-hmm. forget that. But I think one of the keys is you're going to have to start seeing more people following Formula E.
1: Well, d- and that have that <coughs> growing
0: as a population.
1: There's one other thing to remember around Formula E. Formula E is gaining teams from Mercedes. Mm -hmm. They've already gained a team from Audi. They've gained a team from Jaguar. And I think there's somebody else who is jumping in as well. But Mercedes moved to Formula E at the expense of their DTM team, which was extremely successful and extremely popular. Audi shifted over to Formula E. At the expense of their World Endurance Championship team, which was a dominating powerhouse.
0: Oh, there's that.
1: So when you've got the manufacturers who are turning their attention to Formula E, as opposed and Renault's got a, a for, Formula E as well, if they're attracting the manufacturers to come in, that also changes some of it too.
0: Well, I think that one of the things that is interesting is the fact that Formula E is attracting manufacturers that have no interest in going to Formula One.
1: Um,
0: Audi's not in Formula One. Jag's not in Formula One. And
1: but Audi Audi has, has been linked to potential bids for a while, and there was a lot of talk that if um, Volkswagen cheater diesel scandal hadn't happened, that Audi – was going to make a move towards Formula One away from WEC. Okay. So yeah.
0: I think it's things to watch. I'm still not convinced that it's the right time yet.
1: I, I think it's still early, certainly. Um, but yeah, it, it does need you need to keep an eye on it. So in other news. Yeah. Chase Carey also said that when it comes to um, promoting future races, he says that they're not afraid of risk. Now, specifically, he's talking about um, Formula One taking a greater – well, taking an actual stake, I should say, in the promotion of specific events. Okay. So the Bernie Eccleston model was – If you want to host a Formula One event, pay us lots of money, Mm -hmm. and we'll bring you an event. And then for the length of your contract, pay us even more money every year, and we'll keep your event coming. But all the promotion
0: for it every year fell to the people that were paying the exorbitant fees from Bernie.
1: Correct. And the sole source of income for Formula One around the event outside of like merchandise sales and a couple of other things was entirely the event sanctioning, the event hosting fee that the venue was paying to Formula One Group. Okay. So what Formula One, the new Formula One decided to do around Miami, which is why they have there's such a tension around it, is Miami is paying little to no Sanction fees we don't know how much what the the exact numbers are but the agreement that was put in place was that in exchange for at the very least a reduced sanctioning fee formula one gets to use a the tool the, the race as a tool to promote the series within the u.s through a various a variety of different venues they're going to promote the sport and the race but also Formula One is going to be taking a cut of hospitality and some of the other things that are going
0: on. Oh, so they're test driving this model of doing a bigger rev share within the event.
1: Right. So they see this as, um, in Chase Carey's eyes, as he puts it, they're assuming some of the risk of hosting the event because their profits are now tied to the success of that event. Correct. So, of course that's got a couple of other circuits a bit interested. hmm Not the least of which is Hockenheim. Really? Well, what we knew out of this weekend or out of the, the weekend of the German Grand Prix is that there was no deal in place for another German Grand Prix to be held. Correct. However, the this year's race in Hockenheim... They had 71,000 fans show up on race day, which, yeah, compared to some venues doesn't sound huge, except for the fact that that's also a 20% increase, or, or that's 20% above the average of the five races that Hockenheim has held over the last 10 years. Because remember, they're every other year. Now— 20% increase.
0: I have basic questions. Okay, okay. Was the 20% increase entirely made up of the max orange wave? It potentially was. I mean, I, that was a, a silly question, but it was also kind of a serious question. Yeah. Because there's such a huge push around the the Dutch His block
1: following.
0: of people coming yeah. in um, and them taking over an entire section so they have that huge orange block. I mean, it's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. Um, and what what is your um, opinion about the possibility that the increase was had a bump to it because it was possibly and potentially the last German Grand Prix?
1: That I don't know because I don't know how much it was promoted that way. And that's the big thing. If, if it was promoted that way and it was tugging on the heartstrings – Maybe, but I don't know if it was truly promoted that way. Okay. So um, <clears throat> if the race happened next year. So so there's, there's a bunch of questions. One, we know Miami is not happening in 19. Might happen in 20, although there's rumblings that even that may start to fall apart. Okay. Because support at the city, at the local level, the city council supports it. Um, But there may be a greater undercurrent of dissatisfaction over bringing a race into the city. So we'll see where that goes. Um, It's looking like Vietnam is now shifting off the table, which I don't think is necessarily a bad idea. I didn't see the point to bringing F1 to Vietnam. If Formula One wanted to push for a 20-race calendar next year, hockenheim's well suited to take it that's true they're willing to take it they're open to it they want formula one to stay and again with this type of a of an attendance bump they think it's feasible
0: and with a deal that is not extortion but more of a revenue share where everybody's got a stake in promoting and making the race successful that's got some attraction too because keep in mind under the old Eccleston model Formula 1 group had no stake in the actual success of the event. Yeah, other than on renewal year making sure that they sign the renewal.
1: So the, the the head of Hockenheim says that they're negotiating. They haven't written off Formula 1. They want Formula 1 there. Obviously they can host the race. They've got the room to do it, but really from his comments, it sounds like, and, and it's Georg or Seiler, he's the one who, who's, who runs the track. It sounds like what they're truly banking on is Formula One's desire to have 20 plus races. Mm. That seems to be their full argument of why to keep Hockenheim around.
0: That seems which seems like pretty that, weak. That does not seem like your strongest argument. Yeah. But if you want to have 20 races and you need a F1 certified track and you need one that is willing to host your event now. Yeah. Then, yeah, that is a pretty strong argument.
1: And, and Hockenheim needs a window to do this. You know, the issue was a couple of years ago when the deal with Nürburgring fell through is maybe Hockenheim can take it, and Hockenheim stood up and said, well, we'd love to host you, but we don't have enough time to promote this and make any money off of it, so no. Mm -hmm. So if a deal can be signed far enough in advance, yeah, potentially Hockenheim can do it. Now, Nürburgring also says that, yeah, they're kind of interested in Formula One coming back, but they're not in negotiations. They're not. They say that they're not in a position to commit to any kind of hosting fees. Um, they even floated the possibility, and I think this is kind of ridiculous. But they floated the possibility of holding the race again, not on the Grand Prix track, but on the Nordschleife, which is the thirteen miles. Okay. I I don't know what. They're thinking there and how that would how they could possibly pull that off with modern cars.
0: I don't know how they would do that either.
1: So there are other circuits that are potential, I guess, hosts for uh, a German Grand Prix. The Oschersleben and the Lautsring are not considered A-list venues, not the least of which is because we've never heard of them before.
0: And they're really hard to
1: pronounce <clears throat> well they're well they're German so there's that um, there is the Saxon ring which is okay, hey we, c- we could
0: do that one because we can pronounce it
1: the problem with the Saxon ring is that they have built it out more as a bike circuit at, as opposed to a Formula One circuit
0: yeah that'd be a problem and
1: there's there's differences there um, but overall formula auto racing in general their support in Germany oddly enough, can be kind of lukewarm.
0: Which is very interesting considering DTM DTM is is German touring cars. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, there's a lot of motor racing fanship that is around Germany as a whole. But to be lukewarm about Formula One makes me wonder if it's not more of a reaction to the way they have felt like they've been treated or... It's the home of the
1: Autobahn. I know. I mean, these are people who, as much as they might be very precise about it, they like to go fast, precisely fast, exactly. So, um, but even with Formula E, they had a race in downtown. They've been they've had a Berlin E Prix for a while. Um, it typically was at the old Tempelhof Airport on the old airstrip. Okay. They had one race that they held in Berlin itself, and then they went back to Tempelhof. I.
0: Really and truly, if you think about it, for a country that is so known for its precision, this is the most schizophrenic concept of motor racing that I've ever
1: seen. Some of the theory is that um, a lot of these races are no longer on free-to-air outlets.
0: And that has a real effect on fanship in a country.
1: It does in Europe. I don't think it has as much of an impact in the US because for years upon years upon years and possibly since the very beginning of televised motorsports coverage in the US, it was – with the exception of maybe one or two races a year, it was almost exclusively on pay outlets.
0: Well, yes. <clears throat> um I mean, the ability to have motor racing on television had to grow once we got cable. Yeah. Um, And yeah, other than, you know, some of the most popular ones. But I mean, I don't even think all of the NASCAR races are on free-to-air television.
1: I don't believe so, but I'm not positive on that. Because they've been bouncing around between broadcasters. I don't know what they're doing. But like IndyCar isn't. Mm Mm-mm. So moving on, second quarter revenue number or financial numbers were released for Formula One Group, and Formula One Group's revenue fell compared to previous year, which means that all 10 teams' income will drop as a result. <clears throat> so overall revenue for the group fell 5% in April to June compared with the same period last year. Um, going from six hundred sixteen million to five hundred eighty-eight million dollars, <throat> so this means that what the teams will be getting will fall seven percent from three hundred thirty million to three hundred seven million dollars. And I'll let you do the maths here; it's not all that hard, even though it's in the Autosport article. I figured you know you could do it in your head.
0: Okay. What maths am I doing?
1: How much it dropped. Teams went from, fell 7% from 330 million to 307 million.
0: 13 million.
1: I'm very disappointed. It was 23 million. 23 million. Wow. I was giving you a chance to show off and you blew it.
0: (laughs) Okay. I'm like, I'm still trying to follow why I had to do math in front of people. Um, Okay. So 23 million divided across 10 teams, correct?
1: Um, no, each team got $23 million less. Ouch. Yeah.
0: That's going to hurt some people like Williams a lot. Do they have a reason? Normally when there's earnings calls like this, there's a reason given for a miss or a drop in revenue year over year.
1: Well, I don't want to get too deep into it because it, it, it flips around in a bunch of different directions. They said one of the reasons that the revenue went down is that last year the quarter's broadcasting fees represented a 720th share of the annual total, while this year, with an extra race, it is one-third. So, from that perspective, they're saying, we'll make it up in later quarters, but because there was the extra extra race, the numbers are off.
0: Okay. I was just... I was just curious if they saw a reason if it's just a matter of it's a it's a timing thing which is what that sounds like it's probably not as distressing as they're really losing money.
1: There were a bunch of other things. They said last year's second quarter included one extra flyaway race in Russia and such events are typically more lucrative than races traveled to by road. However, that was partially offset by fee inflation in underlying contracts. They also said that income was boosted by a change in the way revenues from official partners and suppliers is recorded. Um, They said that there was a modest tailwind to advertising and sponsorship revenue in the second quarter, but will be neutral on a full calendar year basis. Um, There were also – Liberty added that cost of F1 revenue decreased modestly driven by reduced team payments. Due to the pro rata recognition of such payments during the season, partially offset by increased costs associated with fan provided or associated with providing component parts to F2 teams and costs associated with fan engagement activities, freight, technical technical activities and digital media. Okay. And they also paid off one hundred twenty five million dollars in debt. Oh, that's that's a big one there. That's part of it. So Force India. Yes. Um, Well, as we all know, just prior to the race in Hungary, um, Force India was forced into... I didn't have a choice there.
0: You were forced into
1: it? I was. Into administration uh, because they weren't paying their bills. And several potential buyers were circling around. Well... This past Tuesday, Lawrence Stroll, father of Lance, bought his son a birthday present.
0: Ah, did he put a bow on it too?
1: Um, no. That I, I'm guessing that's going to come this fall when Lawrence names Lance's Force India's newest driver or whatever they're going to call the team. Possibly Stroll Sh- Racing. I was well. I was thinking probably, probably Lance racing team or something like that daddy's money's racing
0: (laughs) i I doubt they'll call it daddy's money's racing team um well that's
1: true it was a consortium he wasn't the only one but he was the leader
0: okay so he's bought his his favorite son i hope lance only has one boy (laughs) um his favorite son a racing team to keep him having a seat in formula one but they currently have two drivers, right? one of which sued them and put them into administration, um, and the other is the up-and-coming upstart of Esteban Ocon. So naturally, if Daddy Stroll bought the team, Ocon's going to be looking for a seat.
1: For starters, Ocon's going to be looking for a seat. you got to wonder as to whether or not he's going to keep Perez around. Now on one hand Perez has got to be thinking to himself, if I lose my seat, this is my own damn fault cuz I sued the team. Right. On the other side of it though, since this is about to be Lance's team, does he want to be there?
0: Yeah, that's that's but where would he go?
1: Formula E? Yeah,
0: where all the other <laughs>
1: You know, there was an old
0: podcast out of Australia that was called The F1 Rejects. Uh-huh. I wonder if they're covering Formula E now.
1: I don't know. <laughs>
0: um, I mean, I guess he could go Thanks down. Thanks
1: for if, promoting somebody else's they show. They haven't been
0: on the air in three years, hon.
1: Oh, okay.
0: I, I, I think I can do that. Now. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, Gutierrez was still in Formula One when they were let, oh. when their last show aired. Does that tell you how old it has been? <laughs> I think I can promote defunct podcasts now.
1: So the deal has been approved by FRP Advisory, who took over administration of the team. Um, when so they could
0: weekend. approve it because VJ would have said no.
1: Pre- well, basically, VJ has been pushed out at this point. Um, but Tuesday evening, the consortium, which was led by Lawrence Stroll, um and assembled with the assistance of force india's chief operations officer atmar safnauer and the team's senior management again this was a mutiny wow clearly a mutiny now the other folks that are part of this consortium are canadian entrepreneur andre desmaris jonathan dudman of monaco sports and management fashion business leader john idol telecommunications investor John McCraw Jr., who, by the way, should not be confused with his father, um, who was the one who started Macaw Cellular and made all their money selling off to AT&T. Okay. It, this is the son. Um, and financial expert Michael DiPicciotto, as well as Lawrence's business business partner, Silas Chow.
0: Okay.
1: Um. Part of the deal, the existing creditors will be paid in full. I'm assuming that means that BWT will be getting money as well as opposed to the deal where, you know, as long as they run with the logos on the team, that debt goes down. That's my assumption. Um, Some of that also is that they are trying to figure out how to get themselves back in priority with their manufacturers who were not paying and were refusing to build the upgrade parts. Right. Right. negotiations have started to start getting upgrade parts moving again because they can pay for them but really the question at this point becomes should the team continue down this route or just say we're done we're looking at 19.
0: well i mean getting back in
1: testing and yeah but getting back
0: in good standing with your manufacturers is probably priority one and anything that they can pick up and buy to keep them in good graces is going to be a good thing, too.
1: So, this completely ends the influence that VJ Malia and um, his buddy over at Sahara, who's also in trouble, um, have over the team.
0: So, VJ has no more F1 connections. That's we are VJ prob- free.
1: Assuming that this deal does not fall through, because the deal has been accepted, it has not been fully, it has not closed. Okay. Assuming it does not fall through, yeah, we could be seeing the end of Vijay e. Malia in Formula One. Whoa. So free up more money for him to continue to hide.
0: Well, yeah.
1: Although he's losing another avenue of laundering his money. Wow.
0: Huh. He'll come up with a different way. Maybe he'll go to Formula E. I
1: I'm doubt kidding. it. Yeah. I doubt it. Anyway, um, also happening a few weeks ago is we talked about Daniel Ricciardo throwing the biggest boulder of all into the driver pool. Yes. Causing ripples in every direction. And one of the big questions has been why did Daniel leave Red Bull? He was so close why did he walk away um christian horner and others say that this is probably due to the fact that um he got the impression that the team was lining up around max and daniel didn't want to play second fiddle to max i don't blame him yeah Daniel said that he decided after a long flight to the U.S. that he wanted to change. Okay. It, this was basically a last-minute decision. Wow. Um, within a week after the – well, around the time of the Hungarian Grand Prix, he told the team, he told everybody that he was close to signing with, with Red Bull. And Cyril Abitbull came in out of nowhere and said – Hey, let's talk. And made him an offer he can't refuse.
0: His first... His oldest daughter?
1: I don't know. I mean... I'm just saying because clearly he didn't refuse it.
0: Well, yeah. Um, No, I... I, I think you're right. I think he didn't want to play second fiddle to Max. I think that he wanted to... I think he had a good relationship with the Renault people because of their connection through the engine. I think he sees something going south with the Honda engine. Um, I fully predict that we're going to see Red Bull on the back row. Um, And I think he just doesn't want to be part of it.
1: And and I would not be surprised, knowing that the Aussies talk to each other, if Mark Webber didn't have some conversations with Daniel about, and and hasn't had some conversations with Daniel over the last several months about the team and Red Bull and Helmut Marcos' tendency to play favorites in that team and the impact it can have on the drivers.
0: And I wouldn't be surprised either. I also go back to what I said when we originally announced this. When we get to next year, we're going to see if it is... Inspired Like Lewis, or a Fernando move?
1: Well, speaking of Fernando. Yeah. So on uh, F1's podcast, Beyond the Grid, which does not compete with ours because they do totally different stuff.
0: Actually, a fairly fascinating podcast, but thanks for, you know.
1: it's it. Well, that's why I wanted to point out it's a complimentary show to ours.
0: I mentioned a defunct one, and you yelled at me. <laughs> Come on.
1: Well, this past week, Christian Horner appeared on Beyond the Grid, and he was asked about you know you've you've got a seat. Would you consider um, Fernando Alonso for that seat? Now, I have a lot of respect for Tom Clarkson. Yes who hosts the show, other than the fact that a couple of times he called himself TC, and I thought that was lame. But I got a lot of respect for Tom Clarkson. He's been around Formula One for a while. He's seen everything that's going on. Why he would ask such a question like this? Because without even looking at Christian Horner, if you look at what Red Bull does and Red Bull's history and how they have functioned for the last several years and why they brought up Max when they did, there is no way in hell They'd consider Fernando Alonso. They're going to look internally. They're going to take somebody through their Young Driver program because that's all they do anymore. Right. now, That's the whole reason they built that program. So why you would ask this question other than trying to fill time? I'm not sure.
0: I think it's that incredible um, broadcaster – alliance it's this it's this need that everybody has to do to try to figure out what where Fernando is going to wind up and how he can stay in F1 and they keep trying to make these different wild plays to keep him when he clearly is ready to go
1: well I guess the way Tom had phrased it was that you know This could be the, never mind the fact that his last time he was in a Honda engine, it was a dismal failure. But Red Bull being Red Bull, this could possibly be a way for Fernando to get back to the front of the grid. Mm. Again, not really sure that Fernando would think that this is a great idea. But here was Christian's response to this. So Christian said, I've got huge respect for Fernando. He's a great fantastic driver but it would be very difficult to see he's tended to cause a bit of chaos wherever he's gone i'm not sure it would be the healthiest thing for the team for fernando to join our preference would be to continue to invest in youth rather than take a driver who is obviously close to the end of his career ouch (laughs) i mean
0: serious ouch
1: yeah So Christian went on to say that we're fortunate that we've got several drivers under contract that are great talents. I think we're going to sit back and evaluate what the situation is, see what comes out. It's an incredibly attractive car to be driving. I don't think we're going to be short of requests and offers. I think we'll look at everything. The preferred route will be to invest, as it has been so successful in home talent. Vettel, Verstappen, Ricardo, Sainz, Gasly they are all products of the junior program that have delivered for us. Both of those guys, Signs and Gasly are very quick drivers, so I think this just gives us an opportunity to take a breath. They're under contract anyway till the end of the summer or beyond. We'll look at the options available to us and make sure and make sure we make the right decision for the team.
0: Yeah. I don't know why every pundit is trying to put Fernando in any other car whatsoever just to keep him in F1.
1: In some ways, it's a way for them to talk about something.
0: I guess. But I'm unimpressed.
1: Okay. So we have a little more information about Nicky Lauda, who, again, his condition is said to be improving dramatically daily. Excellent. Um, But what caused this what sent this whole thing going we have more information from marco idzko head of AHK vienna hospital's division of pulmonology he says that mr lauda suffered from a so-called hemorrhagic alveolitis this is an inflammation of the alveoli which are the air sacs inside the lungs which has been accompanied by bleeding into the pulmonary tissue and respiratory tract um, Nicky received immunosuppressive thera- therapy after he was taken ill, which led to a significant improvement in the respiratory situation, but then he was uh, affected by acute lung disease. Ooh. So this ultimately leads to the destruction and loss of functional lung tissue, and the patient is no longer able to absorb enough oxygen through his lungs. Um, there were further drug therapy options. that There they were fewer uh, drug therapy options that they could do at that point. So they put him on mechanical ventilation in an intensive care unit. Unfortunately, after 10 days in intensive care, because of a critical oxygen supply, therapy escalated. We had to perform a mechanical lung replacement, an ECMO, and extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, which means he was not at hungary
0: No, he wasn't. No way he was.
1: When they did this, Nicky had a life expectancy of only a few days, which resulted in him being listed for a transplant and assigned a high lung allocation score that measures the urgency rating according to objective criteria. Um, We could assume that he would be assigned a suitable organ within the next few days, said thoracic surgeon Conrad Holzenecker, who performed transplant last Thursday with Walter Klepetko and his team. The average waiting time in this case is five days. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, we said it before, but if you don't think that Nikki Lauda is one of the strongest people out there and a survivor across the board, you are wrong.
1: Yeah. So our last story over to IndyCar. Mm-hmm. Um, We talked last week about changes that were coming to the Junior Series with the the departure of uh, Mazda as the title sponsor. Uh, Some further changes are being made to the progression system and how things work. Uh, Most notably, IndyCar has announced that they're going to use an F1-style super license guideline for the 2019 season. Okay. So this was brought about because... Among other things, um, they added four additional teams in the current season. So making sure that they've got competent drivers coming into the field is important to them, but the, it, it also want to boost the feeder categories. We mentioned that Indy Lights had all of seven people in mid-Ohio, and the grid size has been fluctuating apparently throughout the season. Mm-hmm. So now under the new guidelines – Drivers who have actively competed in Formula One and the NASCAR Cup Series will automatically be eligible for an IndyCar drive. So Nothing Fern- else that Fernando to qualifies. Do. Fernando qualifies somebody coming over from NASCAR automatically get it. Indy Lights competitors will be eligible if they have competed in one full season and finished in the top three of the championship. okay Drivers from outside those categories, Will be evaluated via their competitive record in Global Motorsports Series with a minimum of 30 points required over a two year period. So, if you are, say, rookie Robert Wickens, who is an ex Mercedes DTM driver, Formula 2 convert Jordan King, or single seat driver Renee Binder, who's driving for Juncos, you would have required a dispensation to earn a license if the system had been implemented ahead of 2018 oh santino ferrucci who is considered to be an IndyCar car switch is believed to also require a dispensation to race in the series possibly running into your teammate and getting a race ban for driving without your gloves and while holding a cell phone might make it harder to get that dispensation
0: that might make it difficult
1: don't maybe. text and drive maybe The other thing that's happening, um, they're going to implement a testing license, which will be gained once a driver has competed in eight Indy Lights events, unless they have scored two wins in the current season before that benchmark. And for a third-tier Pro Mazda Series driver, well, just Pro Mazda Series driver, they can only be eligible for IndyCar testing after he or she has recorded three victories. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, that that's kind of big there. That's impressive. So we're gonna need to reach out to uh, Robert McGinnis and find out if they knew this was coming and
0: what they feel about it. Yeah. But it does open the door for his teammate, Renus VK to get a testing license because he has won three of the pro mazda
1: races it does the the other question is because if i understand correctly if you if I, if he wins the championship at the pro mazda level that gives him a scholarship to move up to lights
0: i don't know if it's called a scholarship for that or is it uh, just a matter of what they win does get them a seat it, it it because the prize money is significant enough that it helps ultimately yeah. and i hate to say it this way buy their seat for the next level up but it's pretty given that if you win that series you're moving up to the next series um and then there's the scholarship is for three the scholarship piece is the three races that you get if you win indy lights you get three races in indy car
1: yeah um including the indy 500 right
0: indy 500 plus
1: two
0: Mm -hmm. um but i don't know what it does my questions around this process are going to be if you aren't podium making podiums in the lower series are you going to get enough points on to be able to move up are they going to graduate the licensing too or is it just a matter of indycar
1: it, it does not sound like this is necessarily a points thing um actually no i'm not sure because it says drivers from outside of the three categories will be evaluated via their record in motorsport series with a minimum of 30 points required over a two year period is that points within the season or is that if you remember in for a formula one super license depending on what you did and what series you are in that counted as points towards your super license so it wasn't points in the championship
0: right and i think that that would that would if they're going to adopt a formula one like super licensing process that makes sense you know uh, the Formula 1 thing. You win Formula 2, you get so many points towards your super license. You win Formula 3, you get a lower number of right. points for your super license. That would make some sense. And I'm sure that if you could take the Pro Mazda list and you take the Indy Lights list and you start with, okay, one, 1, 2, and 3 will probably get you know enough points to get their super licenses. 3, 4, and 5, or 4, 5, and 6 will maybe get most of the points but would probably have had to have also had a really good season when they were in Pro Mazda. I mean, that's my guess, and I know we don't have a whole lot of details, but I think we'll reach out to the McGinnis team and um, family and see what we can find out.
1: Yeah. So that's all we had this week.
0: Light news week.
1: Very light week, but we still managed to stretch.
0: (laughs) Oh that's good. Um, But we do need to close this show because the 1971 official MG of the Bloke and the Bird show has returned home. And she needs a bath.
1: And the lawn needs to be mowed. I'm not mowing the lawn. (laughs) (laughs) So on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. bye now bye 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 Okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. <sighs>